Welcome to the Guardian Mindset Podcast presented by attorney Eric Daigle. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. I'm attorney Eric Daigle. Happy to have you all back for yet another session. Well, as you know, when I get the opportunity to have somebody on my podcast, I always like to start out with a quote. And I got to win her over with this quote. But uh, my quote today for my guest that I'll introduce to you in a minute is from Jack Welch. It says, before you are a leader, success is all about growing yourself. And when you become a leader, success is about growing others. And I think that's the best way I can refer to retired Chief Terry Wolfong, who is uh, our guest here today. So before I get started, and, and uh, now that I've given her some good compliments, she has to be happy about that. So Terry, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, Terry actually came off of uh, in the studio all morning today, taping a leadership uh, a segment for our supervisory training. How'd that go? And it went well. Sean and I did a great job. Sean did well. You the one who did all the work. So he made me look good, though. It's, he does that. Sean <laughs> makes everybody look good. Yeah. It's just like Carrie here today running the board makes us look good. And the rest of us, we just get to do what we do for fun, which is talk. Now, I got I to gotta give you some history with uh, Chief Wolfong, and that is, um, one, she's a Southern belle, so she'll, she's going to use some sayings, and if I have to interpret them for you, I will. Like, one of the ones that really gets concerning is when she says, bless your heart, because you know that doesn't mean bless your heart, right? And that's her nice way of saying, see, up here in the northern states, we're, uh, we're just pretty direct and let people know what we think, but down in the southern states, they're they enhance that passive-aggressive motive, and they would start out with things like, bless your heart. But when you talk to Terry, and I will never let you talk to Terry without me in the room because she'll tell you the truth. And the truth is, is that she'll always say, um, I liked you better when I worked when you worked for me. And what that meant is I first met Chief Terry Wolfong after a great career, which I'm going to ask her to tell you about. And one of the leading female chiefs in the industry, really, really, you know, in a time where there just was not a lot of female chiefs. And, and I had the wonderful opportunity to go down to Greenville, North Dakota, North Carolina, South Carolina. Sorry, I always get that wrong and do some training. And next thing I end up as one of her clients. Uh, and uh, then after a long career together as a client and when she retired, I, you know, you can't let, you can't let success go by too quickly. I, I grabbed onto her to be a policy consultant here where she's been with us now for, God, how many years now? Almost eight years. Yeah. All right. So, Terry, uh, uh, listen, I think your your law enforcement history uh, uh, story is awesome. And one of the purposes of this podcast as the Guardian Mindset is that, as you know, the June, the new generation, they got to learn a lot quicker than we did. And because they're right up against the fence from the minute they walk out of the academy. And so as a result of that, I like to bring on industry experts to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly over the years of their career. So why don't you just start by saying hi to the to the listeners and also give us a little history about your career, which is, by the way, I'm going to drink my cup of coffee because I know it's not little. So <laughs> I won't go on too long. So thank you for inviting me here. And I do have a little bit of a Southern drawl, not as bad as others in my state. I am from Kentucky, born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. So you have to pronounce it correctly, put rocks in your mouth, and then you can say it appropriately. So um, I grew up in a generation of, uh, I'm a baby boomer, but the, the very tail end, when people try to figure out how old I am, you know, I'm at the very tail end of baby boomer. So I grew up in a generation where um, 
I'm third generation law enforcement and my son is fourth. So I got my grandfather, my dad, my sister, me, my husband, and my son. So I say we're the true blue, blue blood. So I grew up with cops my whole life. That's what I knew. Um, and I grew up in a generation where uh, German on both sides. So if you know German people, uh, my grandfather, tough guy, uh, but I loved him dearly. So I started working like at the age of 11. I think now they put people in prison if you make your child work at the age of 11. So but we did. But I, I worked in a, my grandfather was a cobbler. Um, he learned from his grandfather was a cobbler in Germany in Berlin, which I'm going to Europe. 1829 Berlin, I'm going there in December. So I'm going to try to find our heritage. Maybe something's left from World War II. I don't know. So um, he had a shoe shop, and um, I was the greeter, and a lot of the jockeys came in from Churchill Downs. So he was really good with leather. So I know a little bit of the language. I know a lot of all the bad words in German. If Grandpa, <laughs> if he heard something, I know all those words really, really well. So I'm used to working. So I had growing up with a very strong work ethic, which really helped me in law enforcement tremendously. So I graduated from the University of Louisville, go cards. And um, when I graduated, daddy wanted me to go to law school. So I'm supposed to be you in my father's eyes. Yeah, there's way too many attorneys. But I was sick of school. So I said, well, let me, let me, let me get in the profession for a little while and then I'll get out and go to school. Now, um, the job I really wanted was Jefferson County Police, which is the county for city of Louisville before the merger began. A big, big department back then, 500 sworn. Sworn is really about 800. And I really wanted to go to that department, but they were under consent decree by the Department of Justice, which you, all of your listeners know what a consent decree is. You cover that well. Yep. Um, and they had a hiring freeze. So I thought, well, I'll start out with the sheriff's department. So I stayed there about two and a half years. It was okay. And I left because FBI came in and locked up our sheriff and he went to prison for stealing money, which I thought, well, I don't want to be part of that. And I don't know how they found me, but somehow they did. And I had two state troopers come to the sheriff's department looking for me. I don't know if somebody, I don't know how they found me, referred me. And I got recruited heavily to be a Kentucky state trooper. You saw a light. At the time, I didn't know what light I was going to see. I did. I became a trooper. And whoa, was that an experience. So that's a thousand troopers. And of a thousand, there were 11 women. I should write a book. Yeah. I, what, what, what I want to talk about today is that, right. you know, in the ever-changing landmark of law enforcement, you know, now, you know, we're, we're, we've increased the, the female members in the rank and it's, there's, there's huge benefits to increasing the female ranks. And, and as I've gotten to know you and certain other females who have really pushed the envelope and looked back and you got some stories to tell, that's for sure. Yes. So a thousand troopers and 11 females and you care to share the year that this is? 1983. 1983. I don't want to know how you are. I was young. I started when I was two. I was very young. Oh, gosh. I mean, it was a great experience because the troopers were great to me because a lot of them were my age because I went to Harlan County, Kentucky, which you've probably never heard of unless you watch the show Justified, which is so true. That's how they are. That's exactly how they are. I learned usums, weems, and uums. I was called the trooper that talked proper. And I twang a little bit, but they would talk, and I'm like, I had no idea what they were saying. It was crazy, but fun. But my very first day at post, now, now Daddy's law enforcement, and Daddy was a Marine. So my uniform was impeccable. You, you served in the Army, so we know how to do uniforms. And Daddy taught me my, my, my boots were polished, the brass, 
I made sure to burn all the little fringes of, you know, thread. I mean, it was perfect. And I'm standing at attention. We did line inspections back then. And, the, and by the way, in case you, you didn't check out Terry so far, she's not short either. So, uh, that's, you know, uh, yeah, so, so she's, she's, she's looking good in that uniform, standing up tall. Got the hat on. Yes. Yep. Two day suspension if you didn't have the hat. You got caught without the hat. But he came up to me and he didn't touch me, but he got real close to me. And he put his finger to my chest and he goes, I hate women. And the first thing I'm going to do is get rid of you. That was my very first day on the job. I'll never forget that. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So you get off shift. I had a good FTO. Crazy, oh, though. It was crazy. So I, I remember getting off the shift, and I, and I call in the South, we call Daddy. And I called him. I'll never forget this. If I wish you could have met my father. You would have loved him. And, and I told him how this mean post commander, and he said, little girl, you got two choices. You can run or you can stand and fight. Which one are you going to do? And I thought, hell, I'll stay just to piss him off. So um, I stayed. It was good. It went well. Troopers were good with me, but I worked for dinosaurs. I mean, I worked for Vietnam vets, and they were freaking lunatics. I mean, crazy people. But they were very blatant about they hated women. They did, we didn't belong. We were taking men's jobs. I mean, it was brutal. And um, I got lucky. I transferred to Frankfurt Post, so I got out of Harlan County. I went to special investigations. Um, I got a narcotics division. I got an extortion case, which was really cool. I got to do the money drop. How cool is that? That was pretty cool. But I knew the chances of advancement were slim and none. So Jefferson County, I got a phone call from buddies of mine had opened up, meaning they were hiring. So I did a lateral. And a lot of former Kentucky State troopers had lateral to Jefferson County. So, and I physically went home because I lived in Jefferson County. And I worked there. Gosh, I loved it. It was policing. A lot of former troopers, a lot of people I knew. It, it was it was a good experience. State police was a great experience, but that's state police. Now I went to county police, which is different. So you, I got sheriff's department, state police. Now I got a county police. Oh, I'm all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So I was a millennial born way too soon. That that's exactly what I was because they moved around, and I loved it. Um, but it went great. Um, I I stayed. Up to the rank of captain, I went everywhere, I, all over the department, my wheelhouse. How about females in Jefferson County? Th there were several more. Not a whole lot, but there were several more. There was uh, one female captain. So we in the 90s yet? And then obviously at some point when it was... 86. It was 86 when I went to Jefferson County. Yeah. So there was more, but not a lot, but there was there was more. So I, I could actually have another female on my shift, which was like great. I got somebody to talk to because you get tired of talking to guys all the time which was great. Um, and I had a mentor there as a lieutenant that for some reason took an interest in my career and told me, I was an officer then, he goes, you need to make sergeant. You don't know what you know, and you're smart, and you're a natural leader. I thought, yeah, right. But he keeps telling me this stuff, and he, he gave me this material to study, which was outdated. But he was so good and kind to me. And I talked to my dad about it. He goes, go for it. So I, I studied like four months. I worked really hard and I made, I made sergeant, which is the beginning of my career of going up the rank. And um, kind of loved it. It was a great job. And then I made lieutenant. Um, our chief got fired for corruption. I'm like, what is wrong with these places I work in? I know, I know. Well, it's Kentucky. <laughs> That's why. It's a backward state. That's why. I'm sure nothing like that happens in Connecticut ever. No, no, never, never. Never happens. And um, so we had an outside chief come in, first time ever. 
and um, I made lieutenant, and I'll never forget it. Um, I'd done internal affairs as um, an, an officer we had it, but he called me one day, and he goes, I want you to go to internal affairs, and I'm like, because my office was closed because of the consent decree, you know, you had to move the office away, and he goes, no, I want you to be commander of internal affairs, and I'm like, why me? So you get that snow job, you know, oh, you'll be great, and all this stuff, and I was young and stupid, didn't know he was building my career. So I became the commander of internal affairs for three years, and I learned a lot in that. And then I became captain. Well, then this thing called merger between the city and the county, which we thought never would happen. 25 years, all the citizens voted no. And this one particular year, they voted yes, which was a game changer because the city was larger than us. So we were really worried about what's going to happen to the county people. So an outside chief came in from Washington, D.C., took over out of Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, he had to write a position paper, and we went through all that process. But I got very lucky because I was a captain. And between the two agencies, believe it or not, now we're talking, this is 2001, between two different agencies, Louisville or Lexington, I'm sorry, Louisville Division of Police was, we were 500. They were 700. So together, sworn in civilian 1,700. Do you know I was the only female captain? Can you believe that? That was 2001. I was it. I was the only female captain, me. So I thought, I'm going to get stuck in some bad job because there was too many commanding officers in Louisville. But um, he did the interview, and I got very lucky, and I became a deputy chief. So I had patrol division. So I had 900 people working with me, and that was a whirlwind. Great job. Stayed about four and a half years. Loved it. Um, Unfortunately, my son called me one day and said, I'm going to get into policing, who graduated from college, who's 6A, played college basketball. I had a degree in business finance and a minor in marketing. He's supposed to be a stockbroker making all kinds of money and mommy rich one day when, no, he gets on the police department. And he goes, well, I'm going to get on Louisville Metro. I went, no, you're not. No, you're not. Now, his name was different than mine. So I said, I'm not helping you. Don't tell anybody I'm your mother and I'm not helping you, which I didn't. So the chief comes in one day and he goes, uh, I got this Jason Winstead kid. You know him? I went, yeah, I'm a little familiar with him. And he goes, uh, why didn't you tell me? I said, because I'm not helping him. If he gets a job, he gets it on his own. If he doesn't deserve it, then don't give it to him. I am not going to do that. He's not hanging on my coattails. Unfortunately, he got the job. So he got on. Of course he did. Of course he did. Yes. Damn it. Um, but after four and a half years, I topped out in pay, and meaning I would come to work for free. And it was a good job, but I mean, high pace. I mean, I'm putting in, I'm not kidding you, I'm putting in 80 hours a week patrol. I mean, the calls at night, the cops walked up, I sent four to prison. I mean, it's just the riots, the demonstrations. I'm just like, it fast paced. So I thought, okay, I had enough time. I wasn't going to make any more now. I was going to retire out. Now, I was in charge of this little horse race that we have in Kentucky called, you know, Kentucky Derby. The Derby? Yeah. yeah. We're all Derby. Yes. Yeah. And um, I was supposed to go in the private sector, but I was missing it. Not the position, the people, policing. I didn't have it out of me yet. I thought I did, but not yet because I was... Well, you just get in your... Hard to get it out. Yeah. I was 47. That's young to some people. That's real young right now at the age. And uh, I missed it. So I talked to my husband and he goes, you ever thought about being a police chief? And I'm like, there's no positions in Kentucky open to be a chief, nothing that I would be interested in. Coming from a large department, I'm not going to a department of five. I'm not doing that. So I started looking, and he helped me. And um, I found a city called Greenville, South Carolina, 
which you went to. You came, you saw how beautiful it was. And I put in and I talked to buddies of mine. They're like, look, the very first job you put in for, you're not going to get. It'll be a good practice. So I said, okay. So I went into the mindset, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to be stressed. And there was one candidate that was internal. And usually if the internal candidate's going to get it, it is. It's, it's a cook, you know, it's, it's a facade. So I'm like, no big deal. So I, I, two-day process, it was pretty pretty good process, but I was calm, talked like I'm talking with you. I wasn't stressed. And the city manager called me in and my God, I got the job. I went, oh my God, we got to move. We got to sell our house. I mean, I was shocked. I'd never dreamed I'd get it because the first job you never get. So I got it. So seven years, I was brought in as a change agent. And um, was that a of people that might, I mean, we know wow. what it means because yes. we use it all the time. We use the term all the time. Um, I went into an agency that um, how could, there were credibility issues, integrity issues. There was a good old boy system. Um, the culture was not what it should be. Um, my predecessor kind of showed up every now and then. So I went into an agency that was very broken. And he gave me a two-page list of changes that he made. So my first six months, I did not name a command staff. I interviewed everybody. I wanted to get to know everybody. Um, I had four captains. Two would hide from me. That's another story. Um, and I had two. The one was a candidate. He turned very toxic and he left, which was a good thing. And um, so I talked to the city manager and he goes, do you want to bring an outsider with you? Do you want to bring a number two in with you that you trust? And I said, well, thank you for that opportunity. But let me see if I got a bench inside. Because as a chief going into a department you're not from, that's a big decision. Right. And if you bring in a number two from outside, you could turn inside against you immediately. Because right. the, the second, the first they can appreciate, but yeah. the second they start to say, well, nobody cares about us here. Exactly. Right. No trust. Yeah. yeah. And it's fair. And, it is. And we've all been on the bottom. We know what that looks like. And yes. like, why Why is there no one good enough from the in, inside? Yes. But that's, that's really kind of like your life mission right now, which is that's an interesting analysis is what I know sitting here with you, which we'll get into, is that, you know, you build, you build uh, the leadership potential in, in individuals as a job. And therefore, uh, that's kind of, it's, it's interesting. I never thought of it that way because I, that you're actually, you, you, you want to build number twos and you want to build number ones. So, so what'd you end up doing? I turned him, I said, let me see if I got a bench inside. So I waited about six months, and I mean, I pulled every document on every person, interviewed every single person from the rank of sergeant up. Now, the department was much smaller than what it came from, 250. So it didn't take long when you come from 1,700. And um, I found out I had a bench inside. I had competent people. So I went back to him, and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. But one, let me back up to this. There was one thing that I stated to the city manager that was a given that if this didn't happen, I was not gonna take the job. I didn't want it. I wanted to name my own command staff. And he goes, why? I said, if you name the command staff, and I know you know these people longer than I have, they're gonna be loyal to you. They're gonna to go to you, and I'm just gonna be a position. Right. Not that I don't want them to have your right. contact with you. Yeah. just gonna be holding the position. Yeah, you're right, right. And I refuse to be a puppet. I won't. You'll also be undermined by them having conversations exactly. with your boss. Exactly. So I said, that's the only, and he goes, okay, you got it. You name them. But he goes, can I be, will you let me know before you put them in place? I said, well, of course, you're my boss. Of course I would do that. So I chose the staff and he agreed. 
And um, we just started building from there. I remember the first day that uh, when, I mean, it's got to be 15 years ago now, but you brought me in to do uh, operational liability with yeah. your whole department and yeah. you were there, which I am always yes. a huge fan when the department, they can, departments can do training, but oftentimes when I go into departments to do, to talk about supervisory liability or, or, or operational integrity, the bosses are in the room, the subordinates are in the room. And then uh, there's been, there's been a number of times where I'm impressed because the boss sits right there with you. And I remember you when I first met you, you were sitting right in the middle of the classroom. Yes. Uh, it was one of those classes where not many people said anything because the boss no, was in the class. Because I'm there. Right. And, but but, but uh, from that was, uh, you know, where I got to interact with your, with your people and, and, and saw your, a little bit of your philosophy on the way you do things. Yeah. Uh, and so and then we started out from there and did a policy project with you and started yes. getting your policies up to speed. Um, and then... You were done. <laughs> but you did something to me. Let's go back. All right. This, this, this is why yeah. I'm giving it up. Yeah, let's go back. Okay, go ahead. Which I thought was kind of, I, I didn't understand why. Because we finished the day and I'm outside of our training facility. And the, tra the training facility was pretty cool. I got to design it because I built houses. It looked like a ski lodge, didn't it? It did, yes. It's yeah. pretty cool. Thank you. Pretty cool. They let me do that. So anyway, we're outside. Well, you kept asking me all these questions about the law and the Constitution and the Fourth Amendment and search and seizure. And you were asking me all, and I'm thinking, so I'm answering all your questions. Remember that? Yeah. And I can't, I'm thinking to myself, asking me all these questions. And I'm answering all your stuff. And then and I'm like, okay, I'm like, well, do you want to do dinner? They're like, okay, or thinking of that. And I just thought that was odd of why you're answering all those questions or ask me all those questions. I just, I didn't understand why, but I thought, okay, maybe one to see because I'm a girl, do I know them? That went through my head, do I actually know what I'm doing? I didn't know for sure. Been fair. I got right. I got pigeonholed. Ask everybody those questions. That. All right. So we went well. And then um, I'll tell this. I'll go tell this story. Once I was uh, your client and you worked for me and you answered the phone when I called. It was great. Much nicer back then. He was much nicer back then. Uh, we were in Philadelphia and we were at the ICP conference and you're like, let's go to lunch. And we did. And, it, and you probably don't remember this. And you go, remember all those questions I asked you? I went, yeah. And you're like, I was interviewing you. I went, for what? He goes, be part of my team. And I said, but I'm not an attorney. You're like, yeah, but you, and I'll never forget. He goes, you don't know what you know and how people will pay you money for what you know. I'll never forget that as long as I live. That really made an impact on me. Plus then you said my, meaning Daigle's name's on the door. I remember that because I asked you what your work ethic was. <laughs> remember that. <laughs> uh, yes, if you micromanage, I don't want to work for you. <laughs> then it got to the point you never answered the phone, so that's okay. I didn't have to worry about that. So you're unhappy <laughs> if I micromanage, and you're unhappy if I don't answer the phone. Yeah, so um, it, it's been good. So it was a, and I didn't meet you personally at ICP. My two captains went, came back to the department, and said, "We got to get this guy in here." And that's how we brought you in, and that's how I met you. I'm not paying for this, by the way. This is yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is not a commercial. Not a commercial. <laughs> but that—that's how I met you. Was that particular? And then the lawsuit, um, you helped tremendously. And then you did um, an expert report, which was tremendous. And this, the the suit in your backyard. Yeah, the suit dropped. Yeah, based on that. So yeah, so you you helped me a lot. You really did. Well, then you helped me because then you came on board and. In the early stages of our policy development, when we were first starting to do policies, and yes, and one of the things that I believe in is that you know you know what you know, 
and stay in your lane. That's why people yeah. know all the time. And when is, that's where I, you know, uh, I know the law, but but I was never been a police chief. So uh, we need advice and everyone needs advice and guidance by experts. And, and you've been here for a long time there. Yes. But then to move it along, one of the things that I truly did mean that you had a talent and the talent was that you, you, you've gone through such a, um, such a minefield and such a, uh, uh, you know, so many challenges for a strong female leader in a male dominated industry. And we can all talk about this stuff and, and, but you lived it. Right? And, we, you know, and, and so I was very intrigued by that along, uh, along the process. And that led to the part where you started to do some training yes. and, and the leadership. Now, I'm going to have to be totally clear with everybody else is that if you can ask me, I always say she teaches that, that warm and fuzzy shit. Like that's what she teaches. <laughs> like those of you that know me, I'm, I'm a big structure guy. Like I like structure, but she's really, really good at that leadership stuff. And, and, you know, and that, that warm and fuzzy stuff is there. And so you've been doing that for, for almost the same time now, right? Yes. Eight years. Yes. And, um, and yeah, all of you know that, um, you know, I've been general counsel for FBI leader for, you know, God, 17 years now. And, uh, and Terry came on with them and, and I got to tell you, I think, uh, uh, the instructor cadre at FBI leader is phenomenal. They are the best of the best. They are leaders teaching leaders. And, uh, and so let's, let's look at that because, you know, the, the first question that I want to ask you is because I have so many, but I only have so much time to do so. And we're probably going to have to have you back. But uh, for me, looking at law enforcement as you have from the beginning to where you are now, um, what, what would you identify as the most significant developments in the industry of law enforcement over the last three decades? Oh, gosh, the list is so long. What, what it was when I went into and where it is today, it's a 360-degree turn. Uh, community policing did not exist. It's kind of like, we're the police and you do exactly what we say. There was not a lot of community involvement uh, at all when I started. And I, I had a different concept is, um, and you were a trooper, um, I didn't fit in well because I wouldn't, right? Sorry, I wouldn't let them brainwash me. And that, you know, we're the police and we do what we want whenever we want. I, I didn't believe in that. I didn't fit in with that because I think differently. And when I went to Jefferson County, um, I saw a little bit difference in that. Um, it still had it with women. It still existed then. Uh, women don't belong. Not, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as much in your face as it was with state police. So I saw a little bit more of acceptance. And my goal was, is when female officers came on, was me, was to mentor them and develop them and to help them take the next step. I thought that was what I should be doing. And not all females do that because we have the queen bees out there, that, which is another story. If we could get rid of all them and take over the world. We could fix all the problems you men have created. But we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. She believes me. Easy. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's an interesting part for me because, you know, we've had, uh, we've had some of our colleagues on strong female police leaders. And I always ask a question in these interviews because hopefully the people listening to this podcast have some interest in learning the good, the bad, the ugly of the history and how we're going to get better and we're going to do things better. 
And so uh, let's start with this. Um, a, a young female officer just starting the job comes to you and says, Chief, I'd like to, would you like to go to lunch? And of course you're going to say yes, because you just, that's just you. And you're going to sit down across from them and she's going to look at you and say, hey, what advice would you give me? Well, what, what, um, what advice would you give me who's, I'm just starting out in the industry today. I don't have the experience you have. Um, does it matter in whether it's a female or a male officer? But the key, because one thing I do agree, and you guys have talked to this, is there's not enough female mentorship in law enforcement. Yeah. There is, we've even talked about building programs for female mentorship. And, and here we are now where, female, where police departments are now 40% female. And we still don't have female mentorship in the no. point that there are. And and so what advice would you give? Um, and, and unfortunately, I got to ask it in gender specific because we're, we're dealing with female officers and the challenges they face. Yes. What would you what advice would you give a female officer starting out today? Well, it's a lot different than it was when I came on. So thank goodness. Um, and I had predecessors kick in the door for, for me because that's what you had to do back then. But I think for females especially is where females fail in law enforcement. And which I tell them in the beginning when I talk to them is, you are not one of the boys and don't try to be one of the boys. Just be you. Because they try so hard to be one of the boys and they don't fit in and it doesn't work. So they need to stand on their own and be themselves. Just be who you are and you're going to be very successful. And, and the other thing I really push is, is education. You got to have it. You got to have that degree if you want to do the next step. And, and work hard and keep your nose to the grind and stay out of the clicks. Um, and you don't have to prove to them that you're worthy. Those days are gone. Just get out there and do your job and do it right. Be involved in the community and, and participate and be a team member. Be all part of the team and mentor people. And would your advice be any different for a male officer if I sat down with you and said, give me some advice? You know, how do I, how do I get all I can out of this job? Or how, do I, how am I successful at this job? And I mentor. I have men that I mentor. Um, I had one text me, I got to call him tonight. It, and I mentor them. It, it's going to be the same way. It's what you put into the job is what you get out of the job. And it's got to be a passion that you have. If you're just here because it's a J-O-B and nothing more and you're going to stay three years, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But if you really want to stay in, you got to put a lot more into it. And, and it's all about having relationships and working with people and being involved. It's not just, you know, doing your time and, and going home and not being involved. It's taking the next step. You got to be, you got to keep climbing that ladder because things that I complained about as a young officer and what I saw and how badly treat, people were treated so badly by a commanding officer. And I just, I just swore that I'm going to make it and I'm going to climb that ladder and I'm going to stop it and I'm not going to let it happen. And that's what I did my whole career. I, I wanted to be a major patrol. That was my goal major patrol division, but I never dreamed I'd ever be a police chief. For people that are listening, I mean, you kind of are getting the type of people that I have on this and we're all kind of the same. We're all overly driven. We're, we're just not normal or they don't, <laughs> they, and, and, and people say that they don't make them like you guys anymore. And I'm like, I think they're out there. I just think they're out there. I just don't think that we, you know, with everybody talking so much about work-life balance and all this stuff, I think the ones that have that inner drive just are afraid to come out because they don't want to look like they're not supporting this. And I'm like, well, you know, it is, it is what it is. I mean, it, you know, and I, I don't know what work-life balance is. You probably had no idea what work-life no. balance is. And, and you're a mother. And, I know. And that's even, and that's one of my, where I'm really humbled by when I worked with ladies and, and who have 
children and they're doing yeah. the same job long hours and and that's got to be a struggle it's got to be even more i mean I'm, I'm a father so we get we get father things right yes like, you know you just mess up schedules and crap like that that's all that's what we do well right um uh so then over the years when you started to get into this training especially at fbi leader your specialty became promotions and supervisions and making better supervisors yes and and that's where we share a passion. And you know, like you said, you just finished taping this morning for our our uh, continued education for supervisors. And right. and you said it earlier before. You know, it's about education. You know, unfortunately, education means you got to get a degree, and you got to get degrees. But there's it's 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 about continuous knowledge. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. All right. So so let's transition to a young supervisor and this is your skill set 100% and that is okay. they come to you and they say i just got promoted yes yeah what what's the way forward look like what what are you going to tell them you know, to you know because the the world has to understand that giving someone a chevron doesn't make you a supervisor doesn't make you a leader yes it gives you a position and that position has authority but it doesn't mean you could do as much damage as you could do good. Right. And so what would you recommend? First thing is take care of your people. Now, taking care of your people does not mean covering up for your people. Coaching, mentoring, teaching, developing, and being there for them. And I say, because here it is. People don't care about what you know. People care about how much you care for them. And you got to show that. And I said, you got to know that policy manual inside and out. You don't have time on the street to look stuff up. You got to know it. You need to know the Constitution. All of this stuff that you study for, you better have it memorized in your head and you better have the answers because they're going to come to you for answers. Now, the bigger stuff, you got time to go ask a lieutenant if they know it or whatever it's going to be, but you have to be well-formed. I, I don't like it where, and I've seen supervisors where they can't make a decision, which drives me crazy. It's like, you got to know the job. You got to know it well. If you don't know, ask. But um, I had this one particular one. This is a true story. I'm now with a deputy chief. A lieutenant shows up. I'm sorry, it was a sergeant. Two officers did a traffic stop, called the sergeant to the scene, says, can we search the car? And he goes, let me research that and get back to you. And he left. He just left them. He didn't go back. He didn't call. He left them standing out there. Yeah, no. Went to the bathroom. I don't know where he went. But, uh, but the cops, they searched the car, but thank God they were right. But as a sergeant, it, it was interesting. When I was a sergeant, I know people kept asking, like, how do you know what you know? And I'm like, how do you not know? Now, there wasn't a lot of training back then, so I did a lot of it on my own. I mean, I, I researched everything. I read consistently. I'm really big at the podcast. It's all I talked about. They're like, God, make her stop talking about reading. But it builds your intellectual capital. You, ha you have to learn. But for a young supervisor, which I think a sergeant is the best job you can ever have, I did late watch as a sergeant and it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. I mean, I could, I would make runs when they needed backup, but I wasn't out there because that's not my job. I backed them up if they needed to, but taking care of the paperwork and just being there for them and showing that you care, I think is so crucial and knowing the job. It, it's a great job and it's so much fun, but if you don't do it correctly, you're going to lose them. I know that the passion that you have now, I've watched you develop over the past, you know, five to eight years and that is your training in the classroom is and, yes. and and one thing is people don't understand how tedious that is and everybody thinks that everybody can be a trainer and i will tell you that everybody can train right 
but not everybody can educate. Right? That's the difference. And I think that that's where I think, you know, you and some of the leader instructors are the best of the best. But, but what I'm intrigued by is I always tell people the best part of my job is that I'm always learning because I'm always interacting with people. And I'm always interacting with people in departments across the country, and you're always learning. Um, what have you learned from your students over the last five to eight years as you're getting, you know, class after class with people that are, you know, most of them wanting to be there, most of them wanting to learn? Yes. What, do you, what, do you, what have you learned from them? I would be a much better chief today than I was when I was a chief. Just because the time that I have spent with officers at every rank through all these years and having conversations about what's important to them, seeing things through their eyes that I didn't see back, especially as a deputy chief and a chief, because you get to the, like a deputy chief and work and all that, you kind of get to the things like, oh, I know that, oh, I know that. Well, looking back, I didn't know that. What I know now, I know so much more now of what they need and what they want. And the number one complaint I get across the country is lack of communication. We don't know what's going on. Nobody tells us anything. We're not involved. We need to be more engaged. And I thought, you know what, as a chief, I probably should have done more of that. I wish I would have done more than that. I thought I was doing that. I would hit the roll calls. Um, I would ride with officers once I got them to calm down and when they were spying on them um, just to learn the district. But I'm a, as you know, I'm a people person. I love to talk, as you very well know. And being engaged with people. But the biggest thing I've learned from them is what they need and what they see. And the lack of leadership that I hear them talk about sometimes is heartbreaking. That people are in positions for the money and they don't care about them at all and how they're treated and what's happening. It, it just, it breaks my heart. It yep. really does. There's good cops out there. It's just there's so much bad leadership. I mean, uh, let's, let's be honest, though. We were brought up in an environment that was a 100% lack of communication. Do what I tell you to, don't ask questions, and have a great day. Right. right? And so, uh, you know, we learn things to make them better. Um, and, you know, as things, you know, I think, I think that's one of the benefits of the younger generation, you know, and, and, and as they enter into law enforcement is that they're they're they want to know they want to they want to communicate they're going to ask why yes the question is can the can the manager handle that right you know, you know or is it going to be like your parents because i told you so oh yeah yeah right yeah. that's what i was told as a trooper special and yeah. sergeant said i want your unwanted opinion you'll be the first one <laughs> 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 he was such a nice guy nice guy um, um so uh uh, and so let's let's ask that media and social media have increased over the years. And, and would, do you have any opinions on the manner and the type of scrutiny that police are receiving today on a daily basis? And how what advice would you give the men and women of the job uh, to stay focused on their mission? Get off the social media. We have this conversation. Yeah. A lot of time, Get off the social media. Um, I'm on my son about it. He goes, I have a couple of them because of what he does with the job, which I get. Um, but get off of it. It's It controls their mindset of what they think policing is about um, based on opinions of people who don't like law enforcement. 
but are the small, small minority, but the biggest voice. And then stop watching the news all day long. I tell my sister, stop watching the news all day long. But it's interesting is when I, when I talked to them and I said, do you have community support? And most of the time we, we teach, we have mid-sized agencies or smaller agencies. Now, my last couple of classes, I had people from very, very large departments and they're like, no, we have no community support. I said, come on, you got a few, you got at least two. You got a city of 2,000, 2 million. Maybe, because you, Maybe you got two. You never get out of a car and go into a store and have a conversation with the manager. Yep. And uh, I mean, it might not be, you know, it, it's, it's individualistic. It's yes. not, you know, yes, you might not have a bunch of people walking down the street carrying signs saying we love the police, but you know, you drive through a neighborhood, you're going to see a support the police sign somewhere. It is. And they do. It's just got to engage with them. And it's, um, and I always ask this question, you know, me always ask a million questions is, I said, do you think your young officers feel like they're hated? That, that everybody hates them? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, what is your responsibility in fixing that? Because if that's their mindset, that's why they're leaving. That's why they're leaving, leaving law enforcement. He does a job that if they hate it, get any admiration. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I, I, I mean, I can be honest with you. I'm really happy that I policed in a time where people love cops. Oh yeah, it was the you best could job. Do wrong. Well, you could do wrong, but maybe you did. Really I did. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. We're not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, people really appreciated yeah, you. They did, and we really appreciated them. Yes. You know, I say it with my son all the time in the military. He says, "People say thank you for your service." And when he was really young, I said to him, when he just graduated West Point, he said, I, I, didn't, I don't have any service. They're thanking me for your service. I said, don't, don't. Just respond to them and say, thank you for your support. That's it. That's all you got to do because they're trying to thank you and you should thank them too. Yes. And that's really my advice for law enforcement. You know, those that come out and say thank you to you, well, thank them. Thank them for being brave enough to say that sometimes. All right. Last question for today. Right? Okay. Now I got to get you back because every time you come back, you bring bourbon. So I like that. I so I, I'm a big fan of bourbon. And, and, and uh, Well, I live on the bourbon journey. And I do. All right. So still having, I think you still pretty much have your finger on the pulse of the industry based on your training and sitting in classrooms for 40 hours a week with people working the job. What's the future of law enforcement look like to you? Wow, that's a great question. I know that's why I ask. That is a great question. Within the last year, we've seen a change, especially in the major cities, because I came from one and my son's still there. So you're, we're seeing it in the major cities where they have realized that um, cutting the police back, that crime's through the roof. So people are start. we're already seeing that change. They're putting money in policing. Um, they want to get rid of this, this philosophy of getting rid of the police. So we're seeing that slowly coming across the country. Uh, we're seeing, unfortunately, still officers leaving the major cities, but they're going to midsize. So I'm seeing midsize cities because I'm out there so much. I think midsize cities, they got their act together. They're flourishing. Oh, they, they know what they're doing. They have community support. They have good leadership and they're doing really well. A hundred officers. Yes. Yeah, that, that, yes. that's right. Midsize. It's doing well. I think that is going extremely well. But when I talk about it, it's still in the back of my mind. And I don't know what direction I think we won't talk politics of what's going to happen in the next year and a half, where we're going to be and where we're going to, what's going to happen. But if we still have law enforcement where people are not getting into the job, people are leaving the job, you're going to get to the point you're going to call and there's nobody coming. My old department, you call, they might not come because they got 85 calls stacked. 
Right. I'm really yeah, boring. I don't, don't want to live in a world like that. Yes. That's why we, scary. Do, we do, right? Yeah, it's scary. But this is, you don't think I'm crazy, but I talk about it in class and I just said, if we keep going the way we're going and can we keep losing police and there's not enough, I said, do you think there'll be a national police? Not today, not tomorrow, 15 or 20 years. And every single person in my class tells me yes. Ew, that'd be. And that yeah. scares me. Yeah. That well, scares me. Well, because you take out the, once you do that. Yes. You take out the the community policing aspect. Oh, it's going. You gone. take out the individualistic guy. You know, yes. You know, every department has its own little nuances. Yes. And we like those nuances. doesn't mean it's bad. And, you know, they have ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I hope you're not right. But, hope I'm wrong. Uh, but, but that's the scary part. The numbers are the big problem. Yeah. You have to find a way. We, we, we encourage all of our leaders today to come up with some out-of-the-box mechanism to fill the industry. Yes. And, and, and it's really necessary. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for, number one, flying up here uh, just to do our, you know, our supervisory training, but then to sit down on the podcast and have a little old chat. And uh, I thank you for all you do with the DLG and for the men and women of law enforcement and how dedicated you are to the passion of the industry. And, uh, and I think the industry is really lucky to have people like you in it. So I, I appreciate you a lot. And I, I thank you for that. Well, thank you. It's been a great uh, eight years with you and I together. So thank you so much for everything. All right, appreciate everybody. It. So I will end as I end this. Help those who need your help. Protect those that need protection. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you. See you soon. The Guardian Mindset Podcast is sponsored by the DLG Learning Center. You can find us at www.dlglearningcenter.com. On the Learning Center, you can find an extensive library of articles, webinars, and online training. Listen, if you find the podcast informative, I'd recommend checking out our weekly Path of the Guardian video training and our monthly supervisory continued education program. These programs can be purchased by single users or department-wide. And if you want easy access to articles and information, please download the Daigle Law Group app through either your Apple App Store or your Google App Store. And remember, help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.